HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. This week on Meet and 3, meet four of our HRN Hall of Fame inductees. These prolific individuals are writers who have changed the way we talk about food. We'll take a look at the journeys that shaped their literary voices. I was heading off into the unknown to spend my junior year of college in Paris. We'll explore the culinary landscape they work within. You know, it was that whole self-made American idea that you, you can just kind of create a new world from scratch, including a new way of eating. And look at the transformative effect that their work has on what we eat and where it comes from. It gets down to management deciding that humane handling is important. You've got to have management that cares. And if management doesn't care, then you're going to have a bunch of bad stuff. You can learn more about HRN's 10th Anniversary Hall of Fame at heritageradionetwork.org slash hall of fame. And don't forget to subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Good evening, and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting from Roberta's on Heritage Radio Network. So there have been some recent wins in the fight to improve farm animal welfare and our food system with the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, or the ASPCA, leading the way, leading the way on many of them. Joining the show today to talk about the work they're involved in and one big announcement around their Shop With Your Heart program is Daisy Freund, Director of Farm Animal Welfare at the ASPCA. Welcome to the show, Daisy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, okay, so... The first thing I think about when I think of the SPCA is where I just got my cat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how, you know, like, primarily focusing on, on animal homelessness and cruel, like, prevention, cruelty prevention is insofar as, like, domestic animals. Mm-hmm. So how um, long has the organization been involved in farm animal welfare specifically and how big of a kind of component of the work that you guys do is it? Yeah. So it's true the ASPCA goes back more than 150 years in this country. We're the oldest animal welfare organization and, uh, and has a, a lot of um, deep roots in the companion animal space, adoption, spay and neuter, um, saving animals from natural disasters, cruelty. But about eight years ago, the organization was really aware of um, more and more calls from our supporters, we have about 6 million supporters nationwide, um, really asking for our help in navigating how to be an ethical consumer and really um, basically upset by, concerned about um, what they were hearing in the media around um, farming of animals. And so we wanted to uh, make a move into that space, but do so in maybe a different way than was being done already by the many groups that are in the space doing great work. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we we formed a program that really speaks to consumers no matter who they are, no matter what they eat, 
um, really kind of takes a, an approachable mainstream um, approach to this topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so about seven years ago, we formed the Farm Animal Welfare Department, and that's where I am, and that's what the work that we do, and it, it covers consumers, consumer education, um, corporate outreach and engagement, and also policy work at a state and federal level. Okay. So what is, I mean, is the organization's kind of first, like, primary position on animal welfare don't eat them? (laughs) We are not a vegan organization. Um, We're actually an organization that believes that no matter who you are or what you eat, you have an incredibly powerful role in the food system. And in fact, that consumers who are out there investing in farm animals through their food purchases, um, buying meat, eggs, and dairy have a, a really critical role in shifting what's happening on farms. And Um, You know, leaving those consumers in the dark about what's a better way to spend their money is really not um, not helpful to the nine plus billion farm animals that are raised and slaughtered each year. And so we launch. Is that just domestically? Just domestically, we slaughter nine plus billion animals for food each year. Most of those are chickens. because we eat so much chicken in this country. Um, But yeah, it's a staggering number. um, And it just feels, yeah, and it feels, you know, irresponsible to um, to just, to me, to just um, think that everybody is going to swear off of eating animal products and there really are better ways to invest your money. So that's the kind of um, education work we do through our Shop With Your Heart program. Um, And so I want to talk, obviously, lots about that and, you know, kind of go through the different tiers of work that, um, you know, that you, that you focus on, but what do you, first, what do you mean by animal welfare? So can you kind of give us an example of what this actually looks like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's important to, you know, back up and just get, paint a picture of what life is like for farm animals on the average factory farm, which really is where more than 95% of those nine plus billion animals are living. You know, we, Um, may drive upstate from New York and see a lot of really bucolic farms, but the vast majority of what's on the supermarket shelf is coming from large-scale industrial facilities where animals are packed together. They have not much more than the space of their body in which to move. If that, they might be living their entire lives in cages or crates. They're really denied the space and the enrichment and the air quality to lead a decent life, to even to be, um, you know, engaging in natural behaviors. So chickens are driven to perch and to roost and to scratch, and they have no ability to do that on egg-laying farms where they live in cages and no ability to do that when they live as uh, broiler meat birds packed together in sheds. A pig is, you know, highly intelligent and is social, and they're completely segregated from each other in crates. Um, They have nothing to entertain themselves with. And all of these kinds of environments breed a huge amount of frustration. Um, It can lead to behaviors like biting each other's tails, rocking, pecking each other's feathers, even cannibalism, because these animals are just so fundamentally frustrated. So that's poor animal welfare. (laughs) Good animal welfare is really the opposite of that. Some people describe it as the five freedoms, which includes things like, you know, freedom from hunger, the basic things that, that we want animals to have. But it's really, to me, it's about having their natural, physical, and, and emotional needs met by their environment. So having enough space to move and exercise, having enrichments like hay bales and perches and um, things to sort of engage in, um, not being given antibiotics that are, you know, keeping them alive in an unhealthy system, but actually having a system that, um, you know, facilitates their, their health and their well-being and their um, really ability to thrive. So, you know, that's, that's what it looks like on a higher welfare pasture-based farm, certainly. But there's actually ways to do that at a, at a larger scale that we also do, you know, understand and support. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned before the Shop With Your Heart program. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So Shop With Your Heart is, is really a consumer platform. It's a place for people to go and you can sign up um, at ASPCA.org forward slash shop with your heart. And, and then you're given all of the tools you need to be um, a responsible and engaged and informed consumer. So some of the tools that we, we provide for people are things like a list of brands, mm-hmm. which all have one of three meaningful welfare certifications. So when we talk about what is, you know, true animal welfare, 
There are independent third-party programs that are already in existence on the market mm -hmm. that have hundreds of standards which are checked on-farm by auditors, um, which guarantee that from birth to death, animals are living in, in conditions that allow them to um, thrive. And they're all, you know, a little bit different from each other. But what we've done is really assess the entire sort of marketplace of certifications and come up with three. And that those three are certified humane, mm -hmm. animal welfare approved, and global animal partnership uh, levels two and above. Mm -hmm. And so we provide a list of brands that have those certifications. We provide a list of farms that are certified. And we break that down by state and county. So you can click on New York and Sullivan County or wherever you live and find all the farms that are certified there. Uh, and what they sell. We also provide a label guide, so breaking down the common claims you're seeing, like natural and hormone-free, and what those mean in comparison to some of these certifications and what you're really getting when you invest in them. We provide ways to um, to ask your supermarket or your restaurant for better products. Mm -hmm. um, you get a monthly email. We try not to overwhelm people, but in that email, we're talking about some of the companies we may be working with that have just become certified. And so you can go out and look for those products if you're interested. And some of the policy wins that we're getting to try to, you know, advance a more humane farming system. Okay, so there are three certifications that you focused on, kind of promoting that that you as an organization selected and said out of all of the, God knows how many, mm -hmm. <laughs> like independent, you know, organizations that do certify or work in this space. These three are the best that you need to look for, like their seal. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so there, there, so there isn't like one ASPCA seal to look for. It's just these are the three that you promote. Yeah, they were already out there, already doing good work. Um, you know, we didn't want to get into the certification business. We really wanted to elevate the programs that are already um, ensuring better lives for animals that already have a little market share and really grow their market share through our platform okay. and help companies adopt those standards. We have a guide on our site, for example, for businesses and farmers hmm. uh, that compares the three certifications the kinds of paperwork you have to do to get certified, their costs, their complications, what makes them different, what makes them advantageous in different ways. Um, you know, they really represent a spectrum of ways of farming, um, not all the same in terms of welfare or enforcement, but what makes them special and really meaningful for farm animals is that um, they do kind of go above that level of at least enriched indoor environments that provide adequate space, um, reasonable antibiotic standards, um, and better lives for animals, and they have a, a true enforcement mechanism. So it's you know not enough to have great standards and then not have a way of enforcing them or even right. a, a process by which a farm is brought back into compliance if they don't pass an audit. All of that's super important to a program. Do these three certifications overlap at all? Or can you maybe just take us through like... Yeah. Um, each of them give, give a brief overview of what they relate to specifically, what, product, what products? Yeah. So one of the benefits of having chosen a, not just one certification, which of course would be maybe make our lives easier, um, but having these three is that businesses in the food space are all different. Um, farms are all different. And these three certifications really do represent, um, you know, different business models and different farming models and also um, provide different access to markets. So animal welfare approved, for example, that's a seal that you're going to find primarily on um, pasture based, uh, maybe slightly smaller, truly independent farms. Um, you know, a lot of, of green market or farmers market farms go for the AWA seal. Um, it's really a very high bar of pasture-based farming. Um, they encourage heritage breeds, um, but they're also really designed um, with some understanding around what a small business. Um, that said, they have um, you know, large-scale farms that are, that are a part of their program, uh, but it's really quite a high bar to reach. Mm -hmm. Certified humane is what you're going to see in the supermarket. Um, companies like Pete and Jerry's eggs, which you really now see almost everywhere. Murray's chicken, which is also really available widely. Um, these are large scale brands that might be pulling from multiple farms, mm -hmm. um, but they are able to achieve these standards. Um, they Certified humane has a free range level and a not free range level. So there is an indoor version of this um, system that they allow that just sets really clear space standards. And then by not being outside um, animals, are, you know, they require enrichment indoors. Um, 
So that's, that's more attainable, and it's honestly a standard we look to when we're transitioning a large-scale farm to a higher welfare place. Mm-hmm. It's something they can achieve. Global Animal Partnership is the, the standard that's associated with Whole Foods in most people's minds. So when you go into a Whole Foods, you see you know step level one, two, three, four, five uh, in their meat department. And uh, But the reality is it's actually going well beyond Whole Foods now. A lot of companies are adopting it. And, and you see like Belinsky Sausage, for example, we worked with them and they're a, a GAP certified um, brand that's available all over the place. Good, good, ag- good agricultural practices. It actually, there is something called good agricultural practices, yeah. confusingly. Yeah. GAP on a meat product. Yeah. This particular program stands for Global Animal Partnership. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah sorry. It just <laughs> could not you- <laughs> be more confusing. It's okay. like they're trying. <laughs> there are two gaps. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good agricultural practices can, I think, apply to produce. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like yeah. That. yeah. GAP's just animal products. Um, and so what makes that special is those tiers that a company can come in at various levels. And step one really is um, cage-free, mm-hmm. higher welfare, but just basically cage-free. We really start our recommendation at step two, which is not just cage-free, but um, requires more space and enrichment. Um, step three is outdoor access. Step four is pasture. And step five is pasture plus animals aren't leaving the farm, et cetera. So it's, um, you know, it just gets more and more rigorous. Animals um, aren't leaving the farm before they're processed. Before they're processed, okay. exactly. Mm-hmm. So everything stays there, yeah. um, which eliminates a big stressor. I mean, if you're in my local Whole Foods, you know, not to knock them, but I'm like, there's a whole lot of level ones. <laughs> Like I, I, at one point I'm like, does level five exist? Cause I like have never, I don't think I've ever seen it in any grocery store. Yeah. So I have visited a number of, of level five farms. Actually, there's a wonderful one, um, called white oak pastures. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah. Where, where are they? They're in Georgia. Yes. Okay. Yes. I've actually, Will Harris. yes, I've spoken with him before, not on the show, but through something else. They're amazing. They are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a step five farm. I mean, those right. are, those are rare entities. Um, the reality is, you know, Whole Foods, like every retailer, is trying to provide um, affordable proteins. Yeah. And so you do see some of those lower level products. Um, and, you know, it's an evolving program, just yeah. like everything. Yeah, definitely. But the first step is yeah. trans- transparency. Exactly. Um, so, so okay. Um, Lynn, speaking about, you said, like, the animal welfare approved is for pasture-based farming. Yes. What is that, really? Pasture-based farming is an animal lives their entire lives outdoors on pasture, but specifically there's a quality of the pasture that's important. You know, when you see grass-fed on a, on a label, unfortunately, um, there's really not a lot of specifications of the quality of the forage, how much space they have, how much of their lives they're really out there. And then there's the allowance, of course, for feedlots to come in at the end of an animal's life just with the, the label grass-fed. Mm-hmm. Um, a program like Animal Welfare Approved is, is really ensuring that that animal is on grass for their entire lives. Maybe they're you know using rotational grazing, so the quality of the grass is really high. Um, they're not confined, really. They are okay. leading the most natural possible life. Let's talk about labels for a minute, because my understanding is that you guys are you know doing some work around kind of trying to clarify what any of these what are largely marketing terms yeah. in, in this day and age um, mean so the consumers can make more choiceful decisions. So what, um, like, what are some of the common, well, first of all, what it, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you guys are doing? Yeah. So one of the most trafficked resources at Shop With Your Heart is our label guide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just simply being able to break down um, what these words mean is, is critical. But then on top of that, really, we're talking about a, a broken system around labeling. So, um, you know, at a state and federal level, we're exploring options for legislation that will bring labels more in line with um, people's expectations. So mm-hmm. whether that's um, working for years, as we did on the USDA organic program to try to improve it, because unfortunately, while it was uh, formed with great intentions, it was not actually formed originally um, with with the industrial farming model in mind. And so, uh, you know, as the industrial um, brands have gotten involved in organic and sort of taken up a big piece of that market, they've pushed those standards as far as they can go, used every loophole that they can find, and there really are not adequate protections for animals. So we pushed and, and passed 
um, you know, really the first federal on-farm standards for, for animals, um, which included separate poultry standards, adequate space, really being clear that animals do have to go outside if they're labeled organic, yeah. um, all kinds of, you know, bans on tail docking for dairy cows, things that people already assumed were happening on organic. And unfortunately, the Trump administration, um, uh, you know, delayed implementation of those rules and then ultimately um, drew them back, rescinded them. So we lost that progress. But that's the kind of thing that we're talking about, um, you know, and and looking forward, really trying to do that for the common claims that are really stealing market share from the more humane farming um, that's going on. You know, words like natural yeah hormone free um and so consumers can go to your website to get that information exactly org backslash labels and then what is this um i want to kind of get into some of the specific claims because i love talking about what everything means but you have a this month a new um added resource right for the consumers exactly so you know (laughs) for the people for the people (laughs) (laughs) we are for the people and you know it's i've always joked my friends have always kind of texted me from the supermarket with questions they'll take photos of, of packages and ask me what they should be buying or what the heck something means and Finally, we just turned it into a program. Um, so we're really excited to have launched um, something called the ShopKind Helpline, which it. is a text-based assistant for consumers who are really trying to be conscious um, and really shop with animals in mind, mm-hmm. um, but may have questions about what one label means over another or you know, what is the um, best place they can go to buy higher welfare products or what should they be asking for at a restaurant or I just saw antibiotic free, but I also saw pasture-based what should I be buying Um, and uh, and so people can sign up at ASPCA.org forward slash shop kind and you'll just all you do is enter your phone number it's free and from there you get an automatic message right away that gives you a bunch of options you can kind of play with automatically press B and you'll get all the beef options you get press C and you get all the chicken possibilities um, F for local farms, et cetera. It's really you know directing you to the right resources, but you can also just text us, um, text wow. us a picture, text us a question. And are you going to still be answering? <laughs> I still am answering That's a number amazing. of them. Um, we've got a team, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I really, I actually really enjoy it. Yeah. I love the questions we get. People are so dedicated and also, you know, really, really putting their back into this and they deserve answers. And sometimes this is the best way. It's just yeah. to have an expert in your pocket. I mean, it's, um, it's um, amazing. I think that is so exciting and I cannot wait to put it on my phone also. Um, okay. So then what are some of the common, in terms of like the questions that you get, like common misunder like claims that are misunderstood? You said natural mm-hmm. that has no no like no bearing at all yeah Yeah. it just means nothing just couldn't be worse (laughs) yeah I mean natural is is meaningless it's it's um it's not adding any value from an animal welfare perspective it does relate to how a product may be processed post slaughter you know additives and things like that um but we've done the polling to know that people you know most consumers believe that that means something better for farm animals lives so that's just an absolute waste of time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Something like hormone free is, is trickier. You know, that's a claim where on beef and on dairy, um, because cows can have hormones, you do want to look for hormone free or RBST free. Um, You know, that's, that's going to be a meaningful um, uh, addition to the product. It might not guarantee welfare, but it does mean something. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, um, pigs and poultry by law, are not allowed to have hormones. So when you see hormone-free on chicken, eggs, or pork, yeah. you're not getting anything for your money, but companies are out here charging more. Wow. Um, cage-free, similar. So cage-free on eggs is great. And, chicken, worthless. And so, <laughs> <laughs> well, so, um, and what, and like, just to be clear about kind of what we mean, though, these definitions don't have any, like, there is no standard definition that's, that's, over like put into law or you know overseen by the federal government right exactly right or there is a vague definition so like free range for example um, we want our animals to be free range in theory sounds good sounds good Roaming around we see it on the menus all the time but yeah. the problem is that there's no definition for how much space an animal should get how much of the day they should spend outside or even what that space looks like So it could be a concrete pad that, you know, a quarter of the flock has access to for three hours a day. 
And they call that free and range. And you can call that free range. Yeah. So it, sometimes there's, there's an indication of what they mean by it. Maybe there's um, you know, a burden where they have to prove that they are offering outdoor space. But until there's a true definition of what outdoor space means or what grass-fed means, mm-hmm. for example, or what pasture-raised means, none of which have really clear you know, spatial numeric definitions, yeah. um, it's, these are not claims that can always be trusted. Now, of course, there's great pasture-based farms. There's great small farms using these claims. You're not inherently um, to be mistrusted when using the claim. The problem is that when you're at a supermarket level at a national scale and there's no transparency, not a farm you can visit, but really a product you're looking at on the shelf, it just provides no assurance. And so that's why we really have turned to these certifications. Yeah programs. You said uh, cage-free means nothing for poultry? For poultry meat, yeah. So, you know, you see cage-free on a lot of the the large-scale supermarket brands on a list of attributes they're providing um, on the the turkey meat or chicken meat. Um, But those birds are raised in large sheds on the floor, basically. So So they're cage-free anyway. They are inherently (laughs) cage-free. If you want to just talk about bars. Yes, in fact, it's a bird. Chicken on the label. (laughs) (laughs) It was raised on something like a farm. It's a bird. It has wings. Um, And it's also cage-free. The thing is that these birds actually are, you know imprisoned in a way in their own bodies um you know the birds that are raised for meat these days grow four times faster than they did 50 years ago so even though they're not in a cage um they have about a square foot of space each by the time they're full grown which is the size of their bodies and then they're so burdened by uh the weight that they've gained so quickly that they really can't move anyway because of the fee that they're given and just like all genetics oh so they're yeah yeah, so they're just like literally bred like that yeah it's yep it's cornish cross kind of the industrial breed at this point um is programmed to grow at about a pound a week when you think about a little chick adding a pound of weight a week to the point where they get to slaughter at six weeks, six pounds. It's really um, structurally unsustainable. And so, you know, they often are lame. They suffer from all kinds of respiratory and and heart problems. Um, And they're really, when you go to the farm sanctuaries, for example, they have to keep these birds on incredibly strict diets to keep them alive because they just gain weight by practically breathing. It's like how they've been bred. It's really the cruelest thing you could do to an animal. Yeah. Um... And it would be like my personal nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Nobody wants to be in that position. Oh, my God. Um, Okay. So we're going to take a really quick commercial break. But before we do, I have one more question about my favorite labeling claim, vegetarian fed. Yeah. Please explain. Yeah. Well, as anyone who's ever raised birds knows, um, you know, they're driven to eat all kinds of things. Chickens are omnivores. Um, They'll eat. Uh, ticks, which is very useful, and yeah. slugs, and and all kinds of you worms, know, worms like anything that, yeah. that's out in the grass. Um, so they're not an inherently vegetarian animal, and it's not inherently better necessarily that they would only receive vegetarian feed. Um, but there was a big, um, you know, outburst, outcry when it was brought to light that some chicken farms were feeding, you know, animal byproducts. Um, to the birds, and and there's also the concerns around, you know, mad, um, mad cow disease and yeah. You know, mixing proteins and things like that. Um, and so most... Were, were they being fed like chicken, like chicken Mostly waste. Or? So, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what is for. Yeah, it's waste, um, things from, you know, the feedlot, like really just Gosh. kind of like cycling between these two different industrial systems. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, so there you see this vegetarian fed claim and it's meant to be a benefit and at least a reassurance that there wasn't animal byproduct, but really, um, you know, what it, what it's just pointing to is that we now just feed chickens corn and soy. Um, and that's, that's what they're fed on. That's what they're fattened on. And, um, most of them never see the light of day. So there's no way they'd see a fly or a gnat or a worm in their life. Um, you know, it's, again, it's not one, it's not a bad claim, but it's certainly not an animal welfare claim, um, and it kind of points to the unnaturalness of the system in the first place. Just out of curiosity, what kind of, I mean, they eat a lot of grain, right? And like they do need grain no yeah. matter what, yeah. And so what would be in that, what would, what would be in that mixture, basically? In industrial, or like what, like, what are what most should chickens? should it be, yeah. Yeah, I mean, on a, even on a pasture-based farm, those birds are getting corn, you know, or, or various grains. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much unavoidable at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but in an ideal world, they have the space outside and the access to the outdoors to, to supplement yeah. with 
grass and um, you know, they'd really do eat the grass oh, as well. I mean, you wow. see them, yeah, kind yeah. of munching that down. Um, and then also, you know, gnats and ticks and slugs and all the good stuff. All the things. Yeah. I'm like, you can or, have Or, you know, compost. Whatever. The, the birds will eat um, right up. We used to raise... Um, birds in an orchard at the farm where oh. I where I raise livestock and they would just eat the the apples right off the tree that's awesome yeah. I, had, I had no idea they were omnivores actually yeah um but it makes perfect sense yeah. okay we're gonna take a really quick commercial break and hear a word from our sponsors but we'll have more so stay tuned This episode is brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Michael Harlan Turkel, and I'm the host of The Food Scene here on HRN. This show explores the intersection of food, art, and design by talking to people who are inspired by these ideas. The show features food photographers, food stylists, interior designers, and so much more. All the players that make the world so visually delicious. You can find The Food Scene wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. And we're back with Daisy Freund, uh, Director of Animal Welfare at the ASPCA. Uh, okay, Daisy, so I wanted to I want to talk about policy in a minute, but um, I want to kind of like round out the conversation about industry specifically. What do you think um, what do you think the, what do you guys talk about when you talk about like the benefits and you're trying to get people on you know these these companies on board? What do you mm-hmm. how do you sell it to them basically? Yeah. You know, <clears throat> the exciting thing is that in the years that I've been doing this, we are, um, <laughs> we have to pitch it less hard sometimes now than we had to before. Good. Because exactly, I just think companies recognize that um, they have to have a policy on animal welfare. It's, it's, it's really unacceptable to move through the world as an animal, um, you know, product or a, a part of this, this food chain and, and not acknowledge that animals are a part of, um, you know, part of your chain and, and that they deserve good lives and really have some kind of policy up there. Consumers are too savvy. There's been too many investigations. Um, you know, what's been brought to light is too brutal. Not to say that everyone has a great policy, but there is an awareness there. So, you know, that's the good news is that more companies are readily coming to the table. And I think they're really curious what, um, you know, what the options are for them. But still, you know, getting welfare certified is is an investment. It's yeah. a change for a lot of these farms, both on the farm and in terms of just the culture that they really have um, at a farm level and at a at a corporate level. So the biggest um, benefit really is um, is that you have some reassurance of how these animals are being raised. I mean, it's it's the chains are so long now that a brand really has no access. Um, there's absolutely no federal laws, not many state laws governing how an animal is treated on a farm. So there's no oversight, which means if you're, you know, a business person, you really want to have a grip on what's happening at every point, Um, particularly because there's so much liability now with everyone having a cell phone and investigations coming out. I mean, you really don't want to be caught unaware. So um, having higher welfare is, of course, good for the animals. It's the right thing to do, but you really do get um, a business benefit in terms of um, reducing liability and having some control on the supply chain. There's also now a lot of um, there are a lot of markets that open up when you're welfare certified. So it's not just Whole Foods that requires welfare certification. We're working. Um, with large-scale institutions to get them to commit to at least a portion of their of their purchases being welfare certified. So, you know, 
Boston, for example, just passed um, a really awesome um, policy where called the Good Food Purchasing Policy, um, which requires that a portion of all of the food that's you know bought by the city of Boston is welfare certified. Wow! And that means that if you're a farm in that general area or you want to sell into those giant systems, then you need to consider getting certified. And so that's got to be a big. Uh, huge buyer. Yeah, yeah. A uh, huge buyer. Institutional yeah. purchasing, man. Exactly. <laughs> That's and great. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of we've added about, we've worked with and, and, and have commitments from about 90 companies in the last three years since mm-hmm. we lost, launched Shop With Your Heart. Um, and we've also gone all the way with another 90 companies that are now added to the Shop With Your Heart brand list, fully certified and labeled. Mm-hmm. So all of these companies, you know, a lot of them... Um, they're, they're big and they pull from multiple farms. So if you're a farmer, right. you know, you might want to get certified so that you have the opportunity to sell to, you know, some of these big guys that are really in the market now. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's that hu- huge opportunity area yeah. there to make a, a big impact. Um, so what about, um, in, you know, in terms of you talked about the administration rolling back and squashing um, the incorporation of more stringent animal welfare standards um, for the national certificate and national organic program. Um, I'm surprised. What, were there any companies that kind of like stepped up and said, we've already, you know, th- saw this coming. This was like a done deal. We're going to move ahead with making sure, you know, to make these kind of adjustments. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you seen examples of in this, in this, like where we are in time, where we have like very regressive policies, companies, industries in general, just, just saying like, nope, we're going to move ahead with doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's, there's in private industry is stepping up where government is, is stepping back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another great reason why a lot of companies are getting welfare certified. And if anything, you know, the, um, the decision by this administration to not pursue organic standards was a huge disappointment to a lot of the organic industry, which had really worked hand in hand with advocates like us and, you know, those on the public health and environmental side who are also advocating for this policy. Um, and they were ready to go or already there, you know. And so it was, it was really just a handful of companies that were pushing and kind of in the administration's ear to roll these back. Um, those that were already on board, um, you know, some of them were already cross-certified with a welfare certification. So they maybe were certified humane and organic. Um, and those that were not, I think a lot of them are contemplating or have already now adopted a welfare certification because, unfortunately, organic might have meant more had these rules gone through um, for the consumer who wants a product that's both higher welfare and organic. Mm-hmm. But now that they do not mean that and cannot be trusted necessarily to mean that, um, companies that are really dedicated to their customers and to animal welfare are just going ahead and double certifying organic and one of the you know the meaningful certifications um which is a pain it's a pain it's a shame um you know i mean i i think that there's there's value in both seals but it really is too bad that organic is not meeting people's expectations yeah i mean it's also just like one more label one more certification one more it's a lot of noise on labels even though they um you know you want to be able to give consumers the all of the information it's also kind of unfortunate not unfortunate but like to me, the organic people use organic as like a catch-all. I yeah. think because you know if they don't know as much about the food system, so they just say it's organic, it's great, and um, there isn't a whole lot of like depth of understanding. I don't, I don't think. Which, no, it's true. It's just kind of a, a password for better, right? And um, you would want it to really have everything, you know, have all of those components that really make a product. Um, superior and, you know, what we want people to be eating more of. Yeah. Um, Where was the Organic Trade Association on this? I mean, were they fighting this or were they supportive? They were supportive. Yeah. Yeah. They were supportive as, as were, you know, a number of other organic consumers association, um, uh, the National Organic Standards Board, which is the board that informs the USDA was for this. Um, So it was, it was, uh, it was really, it was really just just at the top. Yeah. That just seems unnecessarily mean and <laughs> it nonsensical. It was heartbreaking, yeah. Um, what other, are there any, you know, examples of, is there any, like, light at the federal level, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel, kind of, you know, anything good percolating at the federal level, or is most of the progress that you guys have been seeing, like, at the state and local level? 
I would say, you know, we've certainly turned our attention to the state level. Um, you know, there's been incredibly good work done by groups like the Humane Society to pass um, bans on not just on caging in um, the use of cages in the state, but also the sale of caged products in the state. So that happened recently. We worked with a large coalition of animal groups on Proposition 12 in 2016, which passed by you know a huge margin, as most of these um, confinement bans do also in Massachusetts and in 10 other states now. There's okay. a ban on... Um, Where was the 20... Was that New Jersey? Where was the 2016? 2016 was in California. Sorry, oh, okay. Proposition yeah. 12 was yeah. in California. Um, and that was really the strongest law in the nation. Um, and, and since then, you know, other states have followed in terms of, again, not just banning the use of cages, but also the sale of cage products, which has a national impact. So if a company can't sell, you know, caged products at, you know, if, if a retailer that is nationwide can right. only sell cage-free products in California, it starts to affect their whole supply chain and yeah, ultimately push can. them to move sell, you know, Wholesale. different products to one state and not the other. It's a nightmare. Exactly. And so the key, was that just for poultry or is that also, did you say, or is that also for um, pigs? pigs yeah. and um, veal calves. So everything. Yeah. Wow. All three and the same for uh, Massachusetts. Wow. So, and those are, you know, coming, Massachusetts, for example, comes up due in a few years. So um, companies had plenty of time to comply, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's really what's needed to continue the momentum that started with a lot of uh, private companies committing. Um, and, you know, they're, they're basically supportive. We find mostly that the egg industry, for example, is supportive of these um, bans because the whole industry sort of has to move at the same time in order for this to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, that's pieces of progress. You know, another really exciting thing that we've been working on at a state level that I think is unique is in Vermont, um, we just worked to pass a law that will open up funding for farmers to get welfare certified. When you look across, you know, at both a state and a federal level, there are so many subsidies propping up factory farming. There's so much money that's available to farmers to farm in a way that is not good for animals, our environment, our health. It's not what consumers want. It's harmful to communities. But there's really not a lot of money, almost no money, for farmers to do the right thing. Yeah. And so we're you know, dedicated to not just getting companies to adopt these standards and consumers to buy these products, but really to, to creating um, the incentives and the support for farmers. And so in Vermont now, um, you know, the Working Lands Board has, has opened up funding for um, welfare certification, and we hope to do that across the country. That's amazing because that's really the, you know, farmers, they have, they have no money to do this, right? They're, I feel like at every aspect of this food supply chain, everybody is operating on, on the farmers, yeah, yeah, I mean, everybody's at razor thin margins yeah. and then it all ultimately always falls back on the farmers. And so it's so hard for them to be able to make a move. Yeah, it really um, is. So that's great. And is there so that's funding. Is our technical assistance provided with that, or the technical assistance really comes through these welfare programs, welfare certification programs? Yeah. Um, you know, that's another benefit that companies can derive from becoming certified is is the help that they can get from experts, um, from the standards makers themselves, the, even the auditors that come out. You know, often are, are problem solvers for the farmers, and I hear about pretty great relationships being forged there. Yeah. It's not an IRS audit. You know, it's really, it's a, there's, these are people who by and large understand farming and, and are really there to try to make sure that, that it's possible to do. Going back to the federal level, were there any major wins in the farm bill this past year? Um, for other animals than farm animals, yes, but really for farm animals, no. I mean, we we worked quite hard to try to introduce some of these funding opportunities, um, and uh, Blumenauer um, had his uh, what he called an, an alternative farm bill. Um, yeah, he he came on a couple months ago, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and uh, and so he was a champion of some of these policies that would have made more humane farming more feasible. Uh, unfortunately, those did not get adopted. Um, yeah, <laughs> but you know the farm bill was was a, was a bit of a nightmare in general this year to get it yeah. passed. Um, we'll we'll keep trying on that for sure. And on a federal level, you know, we're we are certainly not losing hope. There's really are some great champions out there. Yeah. Um, and so you know, in the coming year, I hope that you'll see some the introduction of some legislation that would address labels mm-hmm. directly. Um, and that would potentially provide some incentives for farmers um, doing the right thing, thing through the tax system. Um, 
What What is the connection to you guys that you make, if, if anything, between animal welfare and the environment? You know, do, you, do you kind of talk about that in your messaging, your advocacy work at all? Absolutely. I mean, animal production is one of the single greatest contributors to greenhouse gases. And, um, you know, we really advocate, in addition to welfare certification, for people to consider reducing overall their animal product consumption. It's, it's critical, basically, that we all do, even just from the standpoint of making room for um, you know, animals to be raised in more extensive pasture-based systems. Um, it's all, you know, goes hand in hand, reduction and improvement of how animals are, are living. Um, but that's, you know, that's true as well for the environment. So from an environmental perspective, not only are, you know, animals that are packed together um, emitting all kinds of, of greenhouse gases and waste, um, they're also poisoning the environment around them. Um, so we really are, are working with uh, community groups that are trying to fight off CAFOs in their community because of the environmental and, and health impacts that they're having through you know, air and water contamination, plummeting property values. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, it's environment in terms of um, uh, the way that, that these, the entire system is impacting um, the ecosystem, but it's also the environment directly around a farm that, that's so challenged by yeah. their waste products. So will this, um I don't know if this might be super tangential, but like the new Vermont law, for instance, will it encourage farmers to take a more like regenerative approach? Um, you know, adopt some of those regenerative yeah. regenerative practices. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, basically, this all the Vermont law is doing is making sure that farmers who want to get welfare certified have an opportunity to apply for the funding. Um, but just by being inherently higher welfare, there are some environmental benefits and yeah. often a regenerative farm, um, you know, it goes hand in hand with a higher welfare farm. So right. whether that's just simply getting animals in contact with the land, getting them out of sheds and onto the land where, you know, that life cycle can start up, um, in terms of enriching the soil and moving them across the land, um, to regenerate or, you know, just reducing the antibiotics that are in there, um, in the system and therefore in maybe the water that's surrounding the farm um, and all of the the bad impacts that that can have. These welfare certifications ultimately do lead to a more environmentally sustainable form of farming, if not all the way up to like that pure regenerative. Right. um, There's just an environmental benefit. And I imagine also a benefit towards public health kind of in general, especially with like antibiotics, like you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Where is, what is the, you know, ASPCA's kind of a stance on antibiotics in livestock? Yeah. They're a crutch, really, for the factory farming system. So for sure, these um, the way that antibiotics are used now, um, you know, small daily amounts being fed to animals through their feed uh, indiscriminately, whether they're sick or not, it's, it's creating antibiotic resistance, and that's an enormous and terrifying public health problem. Uh, but it's also allowing these animals to survive in squalid conditions that would otherwise basically kill them. So mm-hmm. for both of those reasons, we see that antibiotics absolutely need to be, um, you know, the, the use of antibiotics needs to be changed in the system. That said, um, we wouldn't want to completely deny a farmer the use of antibiotics in their toolbox of ways to keep animals healthy. Um, and so it'd sort of be like telling a, a you know a parent that they can't use antibiotics on their sick child. So it's really just about responsible use. And when you look at the standards of certified humane, animal welfare approved, global animal partnership, um, you know what, what's what's encouraging is that there's the opportunity for a farmer to use antibiotics on a sick animal, but right. not the allowance that they just indiscriminately feed them every day. Right. And that's a responsible policy to us. And different with the organic standard, right? There's no antibiotics. Well, in organic, you can have antibiotics on the first day of life, and then they ban it afterwards. So okay. more or less. Yeah. yeah. Why um, would you need it on the first day of life? Just, just... It's, it's sort of like a vaccine almost, oh, or okay. sort okay. of a hit to keep them alive when they're, or you know, make sure that their yeah. immunity is strong in that those first weakened um, yeah. days. But yeah, basically, it's an. I didn't know that it was in the first day. Huh. Within I'm 24 learning hours. So much. Yeah. yeah <laughs> okay. There's that. All right. It's a lot of creative ways that farms do end up using. Um, um, antibiotics and and unfortunately it's uh, 
it's really what it what it speaks to is it's just a sick system you know if you have to live on drugs then there's something fundamentally wrong and so yeah we try to always partner the two it's you can't just rip the drugs out you have to have a a more healthy system obviously in order for the animals to thrive um, but, but you don't want them to suffer. To be done, but you don't want them to suffer. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to wrap up in a minute, but are there any new, I mean, you guys, <laughs> it sounds like you've been very busy, um, but I'm wondering if there's something kind of, you know, what you're turning your focus to, um, yeah. what we can kind of like expect to see next. Yeah. Something coming down the pike. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, we're so excited about the ShopKind helpline, and I would really encourage everybody to check that out, um, ASPCA.org forward slash ShopKind. Um, but really, the by, by going to Shop With Your Heart in general, you'll be on our mailing list and, and able to know what's coming up. I mean, this winter, we're going to do, again, something we did last year, the Factory Farm Detox, which I think is a really approachable way to get into this issue. It's one week, no factory farm products. Wow. And we think maybe we're already doing that. You know, people who maybe are a part of the good food movement or really conscious about what they're buying. But it really requires that you scrutinize what's that sour cream? in your fridge where's the butter coming from in the restaurant um and so just one week of really doing that and you start to realize that there's a lot of um mystery products in our diet in a lot of different places we may not be noting Mm -hmm. and just being a little more aware of that either asking for or buying welfare certified or swapping in a plant-based alternative if you're not sure just for as long as a week can do a huge amount um to, to sort of um reroute people's attention and, yeah. and get you trying some new products. And so the factory farm detox coming up this winter, especially at the beginning of 2020, when you're trying to detox in all kinds of ways, it's a good way to yeah. um, clear the system and the conscience. That's amazing. And also maybe not no need to wait for our listeners. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's all out there. So just if you go to ASPCA.org forward slash shop with your heart, um, all the resources are there. You can do your own detox anytime. So amazing. Yeah. Such a great, such a great resource that you Thank guys, you. That you have. And I cannot wait to, you're going to be getting a flurry of text messages from me amazing. when I'm in, Bring when I'm on. in the, um, <laughs> yeah, when I'm in the store. Well, all right, we're going to have to leave it there, but Daisy, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, okay. I want to give our sponsors a big support, a uh, big thanks for their support. Um, also want to thank Eating Matters intern, Devany Latino and our engineer Jeet Paul show music is by Tim Archer all episodes of Eating Matters are available on the Heritage Radio Network website or as a podcast wherever they're found if you haven't done so already please subscribe and leave me a comment let me know what you think I'm Jenna Liute and thanks for listening thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage, and thanks for listening.